Do you ever get cut up about not being where you want to be? In this episode, I interviewed Tom Sterner, author of The Practicing Mind, about how being where you are while you are there is the key to happiness and success. We are live. Welcome to the Supper Hero podcast. I'm John O'Proudfoot. And in 2015, amid a lawsuit, financial crisis, the birth of my first child, um, I was trying to harbor focus and discipline and I was nowhere. I was frustrated because I knew where I wanted to be and it felt like I would never get there. Then I read The Practicing Mind and it completely changed the way I saw goals and hard work forever. So I'm beyond excited to have Tom Sterner, the author of The Practicing Mind, in the studio today to talk to us about harboring focus and discipline. Tom, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I was excited to get here. That's good. Well, I can tell you what, you're not missing out on the South African weather everyone talks about. It is, <laughs> it is freezing in Cape Town. Um, but to get straight into it, you've written this book. I know that you, you know, you've written subsequent books and working on another one, but uh, The Practicing Mind was, about, was on focus and discipline. So how did you become an expert on focus and discipline? Well, I, my work was really in the trenches for decades, um, and it was born out of a lack of a practicing mind. I mean, I was at, growing up as a kid, I was uh, really good at coming up with ideas. I was very right-brained and jumping on stuff that I want tasks that I wanted to accomplish and. What I found was that I would burn up the initial enthusiasm pretty quickly. And then as soon as that was over with, I was in this internal uh, battle of getting myself to continue with the, the process of whatever it was that I was doing. So, for example, you know, I as a musician, I started playing music when I was very young and I got uh, pretty serious later in my teens. And the thing was, I wanted everything that practice was going to give me all the joy and the skills and everything. But I, I just hated practice. I just hated to practice. And I thought, I have to get over this if I'm going to be the person that I want to be, if I'm going to be the musician I want to be. And I felt really disempowered because I didn't seem to be in control of it. The one thing that saved me was I was very internally aware of the conversation and the feelings that went with that. I would notice that I'll pick this task, I'm gonna do this, uh, whatever it was, you know, if it was gonna working out at the gym, I'd get the clothes, I'd do everything I needed. Uh, and then I'd go to the gym, you know, and I was really pepped up with it. And then after two weeks or so, I'd like, eh, I don't really feel like going. And then that, would, that cycle would start again. And it, it got to the point where I began when I start something new, I would wonder in my mind, I wonder how long this is going to last before I start to feel like not doing it. And then I drop off of it. So when I was in um, probably around 19, I decided I have to solve this because I'm never going to be who I want. I'm never going to have any real power if I don't. And at that point, I didn't have any idea how I was going to do that because I didn't know what was out there. Then uh, a buddy of mine in college gave me his philosophy course book, which was Religions of the World. And I started reading through there. And that was where I got exposed to Zen and uh, present moment. And I just something about that just really resonated with me. So I took off in a massive study on that for for about 10 years um, and practicing. Then I'd study meditation with different people from all different areas and different types of meditation. And then when I got um, 
about 26 or 27, I saw sports psychology and peak performance. And I thought, oh, let me study this. And when I, um, and then that eventually went into neuroscience. But the, the thing that fascinated me about it was that they were two sides of the same coin. I mean, mm-hmm. what we're just what we're doing now is just proving out through empirical Western science what has been talked about for thousands of years. But we're more comfortable with it because yeah. it's got metrics to it, you know, and we yeah, yeah. say, yeah, look at this here. We see we did this study and it shows this, 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 and this. And this guy over here, he just talked about it when he meditated in a cave. So we really can't, you know, pay attention to that. So um, yeah. so that was it. And I've just I've been at that since I was 18. I've continued. I research it all the time. What's new? What's coming out? What are the studies showing? And then applying it to my own life and journaling to make sure that I keep up on how it's impacting me. And then I have a, uh, a whole archive of clients that I've worked f- with over the years. And I have recordings of every conversation we've had and, and every question they've asked me and every response I've come up with for the question. So it's, it's quite a bit of information. Sure. Now in your book, you wrote about, so just to give people an idea of like how disciplined one can get, uh, the two things that really, you know, stand out from reading your book is that you got to a point where you could enjoy practicing golf, but more, more importantly, um, when you were tuning pianos, am I right in saying there were about 2000 movements in, in tuning a piano? Yes. There's, um, about 235 pins in the piano that you have to put your wrench on. It, it, It varies a little bit from one piano to another because the string scales aren't all the same, but when you tune a piano, you have to adjust the tension on each one of those pins several times. It's not, you just put it on once and you turn it and then it's done. Um, It's several times because everything that you change is interrelated. So if you change this note, it changes its relationship with all the other notes. So you just keep refining and refining. And, And really that's the way the piano works in general. If you look at the keyboard on a grand piano, you know, you've got over 5,000 parts. Each note's got about 34 adjustments on it. Each adjustment in the train is the same thing. If you turn this adjustment an eighth of an inch, it's going to change its relationship with everything else. So you're just, the repetition is unbelievable in in piano work. And in generally in high level concert work, uh, you're always working in solitude. You know, you're, um, you're just there by yourself. Many times I was in the concert hall uh, at, five o'clock in the morning with just a spotlight on the piano and I would be there for hours doing adjustments and testing things and then having to come back and meet with the artist to um to make sure because they're pushing you know they're pushing the instrument to the limit and you want the instrument to get out of the way so that um it's just like a transparent interface so yes the, the repetition was a great incubator because I had to do this stuff over and over again and I had to discover a way of how do I keep my mind in the present and not be thinking about something I'm going to do later or get away from this feeling of, I just don't feel like doing this. I just don't feel like doing this. I do it every day. I've done this adjustment millions of times. I'm tired of it. How do you, how do you get away from that? Because what you're doing in that particular situation really mattered. Well, that's good. That's something I want to talk about. Cause obviously, you know, if I was doing that, the thing on my mind would be like, I want to get this done. I never want to see this piano ever again. And, and so the goal is obviously to, to like get the, get the piano tuned and the process is to do what you're doing. Um, and you, and you said that there's, there's something wrong with the way we see goals. So what is, what is wrong with the way we see goals? Well, we misuse the goal. You know, we, what we do is we look at the goal as someplace we have to get to instead of, um, 
a steerage instead of like uh, something to steer our energy. So when you look, when you say, here's my goal um, and it's out, it's out there. And now I have this gulf of time in between me and the moment that I achieve the goal, the moment I have the product, what, however you want to say it. And that means that now you're at war with the process of um, everything that is because this is getting in your way of the feeling that you think you're going to have when you have the goal. And if you look at your life, we've done this ever since we were kids. If I just have this, if I just have that, once I get this done. But what we do is as soon as we finish that and that journey is, is miserable, we just replace it with another one. And so when you learn, when you learn that the joy of everything is in the process of attaining and of achieving it, it, it trans it really transforms everything. I mean, if I take a piece of chalk and I just draw a line on the sidewalk and I say to you, well, there's a finish line, go ahead and step over it. It doesn't mean anything because there's been nothing that has led to that. What makes that so exhilarating when you step over that line? It's everything that came before that. It's the training. It's the running in the race. It's the pushing yourself, even though you felt like you were going to throw up. I mean, it's everything that goes into that. When you step over that line, that's just kind of like um, this moment when you confirm to yourself the journey that took it, it took to get you there. So if you can mm-hmm. stop using the the um that point the moment you have uh, your goal and you think about my joy is in the process of achieving you reinterpret the time you spend in the process and you realize that i'm right where i'm supposed to be and this is what is making that moment feel like something worthwhile yeah that's 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 powerful we're going to get into that just now and, and i can totally relate like i've done a few sporting events myself and i remember I think if if you had to look back at crossing the finish line, there would you know there'd probably be an hour's worth of fantastic moments in my life. But actually, you know, there probably a good few years worth of time that's gone into training, and that would be a total waste to just like ignore. So, so you also wrote about actively practicing and passively learning. Or have I got that the right way around? Yes, yes. Um, Could you well, always? Yeah, practice. You know, one of the things that we've learned is that in the first seven years, the brain operates basically in a state of hypnosis. And there's it's understandable why this happens, because, you know, as a child, you're you know, nobody teaches you to speak. You just watch and you learn how to speak and you learn all the models. Now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the environment. But you learn how do I handle this situation? How do I handle that situation? How do I respond to this? All those things are just happening automatically. And that is learning. And you can be learning all the time as you are learning all the time and how you process it, which is very important, because if you understand that, then you begin to understand the the behaviors that you're installing into the subconscious. But practice to me is the um, application of energy intentionally with, with a consciousness of achieving a specific task. And it's done through repetition. You need to know the mechanics. E- everything in life is a skill. I don't care whether it's walking, learning to deal with an interview, learning to not let somebody bother you. You know, some people are really good at that, some people aren't. All it is is that they're just farther along in skill development that than you are. And so when you understand that everything is a skill, when we start from no skill and we move on this line of skill development, that if you can learn to enjoy this line uh, because it's ever unfolding and you're always expanding, then you're in a different, uh, your interpretation of this moment and this experience is completely different. So 
Practice is very intentional. It has a reason for it. It has a goal, um, an intention of achieving a specific goal, a task, uh, and you are actively involved in it. Totally agree. And and so I'd like to move into weight loss now because most of the people watching this will be wanting to you know, apply what you're saying to a health or weight loss transformation. And I think the biggest struggle that we have in in a health transformation is is giving something up. Okay, so you obviously have to, you know, well, there are many different schools of thought. So trying to keep it agnostic, you'd have to eat less food or eat less of certain foods um, and probably be more active and, you know, pick up a few more habits. So, you know, so what is the actual skill that you're looking for? Because I think people see it as like, I have to lose weight and that's the goal. And like, I just need to lose weight. But it doesn't very often come back to like, what are the skills I need to become proficient at? Well, one of the, the skills is maybe it may be a better word is awareness is um, is, infra, is accurate data when you when you become involved in something like weight loss. So, for example, um, if I say because accurate data determines your experience and your interpretation. Uh, so if I say I want to learn, I want to lose 30 pounds, that should take 10 days. Well, obviously, we can look at that and think that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But that's only because we have the data for that. If we didn't have the data for that, then what would happen is we would start off on that journey. And, you know, five, six days into it, we, we you know, we might have lost a, a few pounds. And then our interpretation, it becomes, I'm not very good at this. Maybe I can accomplish this. Our, um, our whole confidence goes down. And if... And that, and I think it's very important to understand that because if somebody said, says to you, uh, you want to lose, lose 30 pounds, that's going to take three, four months. This, let's pick, just pick a number in 10 days. You don't expect to see 30 pounds off when you step on the, the scale. So your interpretation of how you're doing is completely different than it is. It's, there's a story I've told many times about a woman that I worked with who had a corporate job and she left that to become a graphic artist. And so on the first coaching session, with me, I asked her, so what, you know, what are you struggling with? And she said, well, I've been at this for six months and I'm not as good as I should be. Mm -hmm. And you can certainly apply that to weight loss. I've been doing this for two weeks. I haven't lost as much as I should have, you know? So I asked her, I said, fair enough. Um, how good should you be? And there was this dead silence. And she said, I, I don't know. I said, well, if you don't know how good you should be, how do you know you're not better than you should be? And, um, and she said, I don't know that either. And I said, well, and again, if we take this to weight loss and if somebody in two weeks, you know, they go to someone, they say, I've only lost six pounds. I'm not, it's not as much as I should. And the person who is the trainer says, are you kidding me? You've actually lost six pounds. Your interpretation of that uh, would be completely different. And so I said to her, well, if when you started, you had this skill level, would you have felt you were good? And she said, oh, yeah, I would. And I said, so it's not that you're not getting better. It's that your perception of what good is, is changing as you move along that line. So that's a skill to me is being able to understand with a um, an indifference, you know, a detachment of this is, you know, this these are the um, the metrics of losing weight, you know, and so that I'm not trying to do something that is just not it's just not possible. And understanding that everybody's body is different. Some people lose lose weight faster than other people. So I think that that's the first thing because 
you have to learn to enjoy the process of losing weight. And I should say this, you know, the what is the, what is the practicing mind? Why did I come up with that title? It's because there's all this talk about mindfulness and uh, and I tell people, well, the difference between the practicing mind and mindfulness is mindfulness is part of the practicing mind, but the practicing mind is not mindfulness because the practicing mind is about learning to enjoy becoming mindful. They're two different things. You know, being mindful is being mindful. But if become learning to become mindful is a miserable experience, that's not the practicing mind. The practicing mind is to be able to say, and I experience this personally, anything I want to accomplish, any goal I want to set out on, any task I want to set on, I I have the goal just serves as my rudder and I really enjoy the process of where I am now. I don't have any kind of judgment. I don't feel impatient. All those things come from an attachment to a point out there. And when you can lose them, you're, you know, it, it doesn't make you accomplish the goal any faster being attached. It just makes the experience lousy. So when you can learn to detach from that and put your energy into the present moment, what happens is that you have access to much more of your consciousness and your experience and your interpretation of what you're doing becomes more joyful and uh, and not so filled with frustration and a sense of when is this going to happen? Mm. And that's gold because because I think, you know, if you if you take, you know, anyone who wants to get somewhere, there's this frustration um, and it's obviously linked to body image, what you see in the mirror and you're reminded every day like you're not as thin as you want to be. I, I mean, I will add in the caveat that a lot of people who get to the weight that they wanted to be are still not satisfied. And that's like a whole nother kettle of fish, but how do you detach from something from the goal of being so different to something that's making you so unhappy right now? Well, the very first thing you have to do, the fundamental building block of all the stuff we're talking about is you have to realize that, um, you're not your thoughts. You're the one who experiences your thoughts. Some thoughts you you intend and you create, but what neuroscience says is over 90%, maybe close to 95% of what we experience during the day is not our conscious mind creating the thoughts. It's programming that we have installed in our subconscious. So if you want to know who you really are, look at your reactions to situations because that's what you've told your subconscious you are. That's what you've told yourself. Um, when somebody comes up to you and they say something that offends you or upsets you, that is something that somewhere along the line you have either learned or you've told yourself. And what happens is, is when that trigger happens, the subconscious mind, which its job is basically to give you what it thinks you want. It doesn't judge. It doesn't judge if it's positive, it's happy or sad or funny or it has no sense of humor. It doesn't do any of that. It just gives you what it thinks you want. So if somebody says something to you that upsets you or that you experience that you have an upset thought and then you experience the emotion of the thought, um, what happens? What is the, the train that is going on there is the incident happens. And your subconscious mind, which is always awake, even when you're asleep, it's watching. It goes, oh, uh, what we've learned is when this happens, we get this reaction to it. And then it just plays it out. And then you, because you're in the behavior and in the reaction, you experience the emotional content. So how do you get outside of that? Because that's that's 
the power of choice. That's the privilege of choice. And that's when you get the opportunity to reprogram yourself. And so that you have to do through what I'm going to call thought awareness training. You know, we really, there's an observer of your thoughts and then there's the mind that, that um, does that, that creates the thoughts. If you say to your mind, I need to figure out this math problem, you know, well, now you're using your, your left brain, but when something happens and you just react to it, you really don't realize how much control your subconscious has over you. So I'll give you a, a quick example. I was having this conversation with a, a client and they said, no, I don't buy that. I think I'm in control and I'm aware of, you know, um, what my, I'm making decisions on how, you know, I'm going to react. And so I set them up with this and I just said, you need to shut up until I tell you to talk. And the, <laughs> the person went back like that. And they, and I said, you see, you're not in control. All I had to do was change my tone and create a trigger for you. And I said, there was no decision making there. You didn't say, hmm, that's an interesting way to talk to me. How do I want to react to that? I said, you just reacted. I said, because that's what's installed. I said, so in order to get to the place, you have to understand that your mind is a problem solving machine. That's what it does. If you don't give it a problem, it's going to go in search mode and look for a problem. That's why it doesn't like to be in the present moment because it gets bored. And it's like, yeah, this is easy. This is easy. I got to go find something to do. And so it's always trying to run off. So, but you, the real you, not the ego, but the real you is sitting there watching all of this. And when you can get to be anchored in that, that's when the thoughts don't have control over you and the reactions to the thoughts don't have control over you. And that's how hypno hypnosis works. I mean, that's one of the because it's basically they get past the, the um, installed responses and they reinstall other responses. So to me, you have to practice thought awareness training. And how do you do that? I mean, you can it's just a label. You can call it meditation. You could, it, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. But all you're really doing is learning that um, I am not my thoughts and my mind works without me noticing it and without my permission. So you can sit in a chair that I would say two ways. You don't want guided meditation for this because guided meditation is asking you to think. And we don't mm -hmm. want we don't want thoughts. You know, we, we just want a, a, a mind that's quiet. It's not still. It's just quiet. And uh, so you sit there and you say uh, in a chair upright, you don't want your body to be a distraction. So you want to be in a, a you know comfortable position and you close your eyes and you say, I'm just going to watch my body breathe. I'm just that's the mechanics. I'm just going to watch my body breathe. I'm not going to try to make it breathe. It knows how to breathe. I, I'm not going to say, well, maybe I should breathe deeper. Maybe I should breathe. No, just let your body fall into its rhythm and you watch that. Or you could use a phrase based and your phrase based could be anything that makes you feel good. It could be um, it, it shouldn't be a long phrase. It should be, you know, I am I am uh, beautiful. I am thin. I'm calm. It, you know, just something that's very short. And the reason for that, either both of those is you're going to give your mind one task to do just one task. That way you have a point of relativity of when it's not doing that task. And what happens in this process very quickly is that you say, we'll just say we're gonna watch our breath. Um, you sit there and you start out and maybe for 30 seconds, if you're lucky, you are watching your breath. And then all of a sudden your mind goes, this is so boring. I'm gonna go work on that report or what I should have said to so-and-so or you know what, uh, and it just takes off. And you are so in your thoughts, like you've always been your whole life that you just go with it. And you don't even know you've gone with it. You're just going and you're experiencing everything, every thought the mind is creating. And then the juice happens. You wake up and you go, I'm thinking about this and I'm not paying attention to my breath. And that's where everything happens. And this is where people get tripped up because in that microsecond, when you notice what your mind is doing, 
the observer has just woken up and gotten more aware and your willpower to pull it back on task and make the mind do what you are telling it to do has gone has gotten stronger so every repetition of that this is where people say oh, I, i'm terrible at it when i do this i'm like i'm just chasing my mind all the time I'm like yeah well you couldn't be chasing your mind if you weren't noticing your mind wasn't doing what you want so that's really great and you also have to understand that some days your mind is relatively calm and uh, sometimes some periods during the day your mind is, is calmer other times you may have things going on in your life where you're feeling more agitated and so it's going to be more you're going to feel more antsy when you sit down and you're going to feel like not sitting still uh, but it's all part of the practice there is no wrong meditation and there is no bad meditation you can't be bad at meditation the p i've been doing it for over 40 years and some days it's a it's a fist fight with my mind and other days it's just like uh, i'm in like a state of euphoria so mm -hmm. it's just the the sine wave of the experience but what it does it's the key to the prison door because let's take it out into the real world you do that and i see this over and over again with the clients i work with what ends up happening is they notice that their mind is producing a thought that is not making them happy. They're not having the thought. The mind is just creating the thought and they realize I am not the thought and I'm going to change that thought because now you have the opportunity to do that before you didn't, you're just in the thought. So this is what to me is so fundamental for everything that we're talking about, because without that, without that separateness, you, you don't have any power. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about, the, so what did you call it again when you, it's what well, it sounds like weightlifting for your for for silencing the mind to, but you said it's a, some um uh, the exercise where you sit and you concentrate on your breathing you said it's something training what was thought the awareness training? Training. that's what i call thought it aware yeah, training, yeah, yeah. Well, thought aware because what what I are mean, we doing we're yeah, We're yeah. Learning to be aware of the thoughts that our mind is producing. And you know, I've done this with like high school kids. It's it's really amazing because they're so their mind is so overstimulated with their phones and everything else. And we're learning that you know, we used to I used to be a voracious reader and um it's you know, I was noticing it was harder and harder for me to sit for 15 20 minutes and read a book whereas I used to read for hours and because our brain is so overstimulated and ramped up. And what does that mean? Well, we're asking we're asking our brains to function at a higher frequency, to move faster and faster in order to stay up with everything that's coming at us all day long. And especially like if you go back 150 years where people were just walking on a road or sitting on a horse, there wasn't any stimulus going on. Now we're just overstimulated everywhere, the commercials, the television, everything. The media has a connection to us 24-7. And so what ends up happening there is that uh, when these kids, I told them, I said, look, I want this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit in your chair close your eyes and I'm going to put a timer on for two minutes and I want you to stop thinking, which I knew they couldn't do. And um, so at two minutes, you know, I said, all right, it's two minutes. Well, when they came out of that, they were like, um, they were just totally stunned that I couldn't do, I couldn't do it. I, I kept telling my mind, stop thinking, but it just kept going. And I said, that's right. And if your mind won't stop when you tell it to, then who's in charge? Cause it's not you. Your mind's in charge. You're not in charge. You're telling your mind, don't think. And it's going too bad for you. I'm going to continue thinking. And so you need to get a hold of that. And what I found was that these kids, it was it, it was um, 
the, the little bit of calmness that they had was so inviting to them. They wanted to know how to do it more. And I, I know a few of them that did because I was in touch with their parents. Uh, it completely changed their scholastics and their academics because they started wow. meditating every day. They started to realize what it felt like to have a mind that wasn't agitated all the time and it wasn't always running. And they liked that. And it was an escape for them to just be quiet and to experience a mind that is less filled with thoughts. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people are worried they're going to miss like a notification on their phone if yeah. they just keep quiet for like 10 minutes. So that, that's power. So, um, you know, so I think I said earlier, like only 2% of dieters actually, or diets, dieters follow through on their diets and achieve their outcome. And I believe the, the percent may even be lower on the people who who like keep that weight off for more than a year. It's It's really, really bad. And so these constant failures are, are tough to deal with. And one of the things you said was now, so this is slightly off context and I'm hoping we can marry the two, but you said that judging your performance is this wasted energy that could go into your work. Could you link those together? Yeah. Um, if, uh, if you were, um, if you're a basketball player and you're shooting foul shots uh, and you um, the, you have to make the team is in a position where you get two foul shots. You've got to make one of them for the team to win. So you make the first foul shot and you miss it. Now you're at a fork in the, in the road there. Your reaction to that can be disgust and anger and mad at yourself and throw the ball down and all that sort of stuff. Or you can observe it and, and look at it with non-judgment um, and just gather the information that the the shot gave you back, you know? Um, so my question would be, is the first reaction going to make you perform better or worse on the second try? I mean, the first reaction of getting angry, it's really a question of practicality. The first reaction is only going to degrade your performance. It's going, and it's going to make your experience of this moment very uncomfortable. And so if you, if you realize that the information that you're talking about here is the information is neither good or bad. It's your interpretation of the information that gives you the experience of the information. So mm -hmm. if you interpret the information, how do you want to interpret the information? You want to interpret the information in the way that is going to give you the highest performance and the best feeling. And that simply is not self-judgment. I mean, it just isn't. That's just a fact. Now, that, I'm not saying that well, that now means it's easy. No, it's just, here's the fact. The fact is that interpreting it, throwing the ball into the stands and getting mad is only going to make it worse for your, your brain to refocus because it's not looking at the information. And in, the, in that in there, it's just expressing emotion. The other way, as I said in the practicing mind, do observe correct. Okay, the hoop is the target. The target is feeding back to you. You, you do, which is make the shot. As the ball flies through the air, you're observing the ball flight. Now, is the ball left, right, short? Is it gonna bounce off the backboard? You're gathering information, and then you refine that information with correction. So the second shot, you're gonna perform higher, but there's no judgment in any of that. It's just, how do I perform at the highest level? How do I increase my chances to do, to accomplish what I, in my heart, I wanna do? So that's why I'm saying, you know, if. If getting upset and degrading yourself and judging you would make you accomplish the goal faster and more times, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the fact is that it is only going to stop you. So to me, I'm a very practical person. And so when, when I really see things from that perspective, 
and I practice thought awareness, and I notice that my I have installed this reaction to this particular situation, and the situation happens, and I notice how I'm feeling because that's what you want to pay attention to. Your feelings will tell you what thoughts you're having because the feelings always come after the thought. And so when you have this feeling and you start to monitor your feelings and say, this is making me uncomfortable, this is making me sad, this is making me feel bad about myself, then you need to change the thought because you are in control of the thought. The thought shouldn't be in control of you. And this feeling, feeling bad is not going to make the situation better and it's not going to make you perform better if, if you're trying to lose weight and you step on the scale and you're not seeing as many weight, as many pounds off as you wanted getting all upset about that isn't going to make you lose weight faster. Now that sounds over like as you're oversimplifying it, but just if you just go with the practical um, fact, the number on the scale is just information. That's all it is. It's just information. How you interpret mm -hmm. that information is going to determine how you react to the situation and how you react to the situation is going to determine how you experience it and how you perform moving forward. Totally. And, and then, you know, adding to that, there's the concept of the beginner's mind. And I think you said it's, so I'd never heard of it before. I think you said it's a Zen concept. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. Zen, um, and you know, I've adapted it a little bit, but in the beginner's mind, the beginner's mind is empty. Um, and the beginner's mind is also completely absorbed in the process of what it's doing. So think about it, you know, when you first learned to ride a bicycle or you first learned to walk, you know, it, you can't be thinking about something, something else later in the day. It takes all of your attention in this moment to do this task. There's also, um, it, it's a complete present moment functioning. That's a beginner's mind. Now the irony of this or the paradox is that the more proficient you get at um, whatever skill you're developing, the harder it becomes to, to hold on to the beginner's mind because as the skill level goes up, it begins to be put into the background and the subconscious can run it without you actively being a part of it. And that's, you know, the problem with our brains is that they haven't really evolved a lot from the hunter gatherer days, you know, like, um, so, you know, you needed to, um, you know, once you needed to walk, that, that needed to be put on autopilot, you know, so that you weren't paying attention to it if you had to run. I mean, you think about all the things that happen during the day that you're not thinking about. You're, you know, just uh, just running your body is just unbelievable, you know. But, you know, flinching if something comes at your face, all these things, you don't think about them. They, they're just handled for you. And so as they become and there's a reason for that, the reason for that with the subconscious, the reason we habitualize so many things our you know, our subconscious looks at everything we do and it watches for the things that we repeat. And that's not just things we do physically, but the ways way we think and we interpret situations. It watches them and it says, OK, when this happens, this is the response. And why does it do that? Well, because when you're learning something, it takes up a lot of the processing power of the brain. And you can look at it like RAM on a computer, you know, that it's eating up RAM. As soon as the, the computer can offload stuff out of RAM, it opens up more for processing. So what it does, the way it does that is it's it really an efficient system is it, it watches and it watches for how you repeat things. And as soon as it sees something that you repeat, it says, oh, we can make this into a habit and then just throw it back there and it'll just be auto. And if you understand this, then you understand why you react to situations the way you do. It's not a good or a bad. It's just 
you've reacted to things this way. And so because of that, um, this is what happens. And now the problem with that is that uh, there's no conscious choice making in auto responses. You know, they just happen. And it's even worse if you're not even noticing that they're happening. You're just experiencing the thing being executed. So it, it's, it's just this big loop that we get, we talk about here is like, you know, in order to get out of that loop, you have to be outside of the loop and you, and you do that through thought awareness training. And then everything opens up after that. Then you can start working on uh, what, do, how do I want to respond? I mean, cause many times I ask people, they talk about, let's just talk about weight loss. You know, and you get on the scale and it's not telling you what you want. I will ask somebody in that situation, I would say, all right. Uh, and I say, it really upsets me, et cetera. And I'll say, well, if I could touch you on the head with a magic wand and you could react to that any way you want, what would that be? Well, they don't know. And I said, well, if you don't know, you don't even have a target. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you're just experiencing the anxiety and the frustration of the moment. But suppose you said, well, I want that to, I want that to have absolutely no impact on my confidence or anything. All right, now you got a target. So let's start working mm -hmm. on that. How are we going to make that happen? But if you don't even have that, then you're just a puppet to whatever the scale says. And that's why this is this th whole thought awareness thing is, is just so important. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. We kind of like little um, icebergs just floating through, floating through the wilderness, exploding every time we bump into something, you know, to use Freud's iceberg analogy, all of our reactions and stuff happening on the surface. That's nuts. Okay. Um, yeah, and the other thing is that, that the, um, uh, as I said, you know, the mind is, it operates in this mode. It's as a protection thing because, uh, we don't have to think about a lot of things as, as they happen, but, the, but where it's, where it, it does us in is we are not aware of what our mind is doing. And for the most part, you know, as people go through their day, they're really just living programming. They're really not consciously thinking the left brain does all the conscious thinking, the right brain stores the information and, and then executes. And once you understand the mechanics of that, uh, uh, now the next thing is, okay, now I have to learn to be outside of my thoughts. Okay. Well, the practicing now that's going to be work. Okay. So what's the practicing mind? The practicing mind is learning to enjoy the process of becoming aware of your thoughts and enjoying restructuring your thought process so that you could, that you're going to have to work at this and you're going to have to be committed to it. So if, if you enjoy it, it, it's the chances of you being successful at it are much better than if you say, well, if you say, well, when I'm good at this, then I'll be happy. Well, see, there you're right back to, there's the goal, I'm here, and now I got to work at this stuff, and I really don't feel like it. I just want to be good at it. Um, well, when, you know, this, this is what I find so amusing. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, do, do you need to run, like, right now? Or have you got a couple more minutes? No, no, I'm fine. Go ahead. Okay, all right. So, um, so, the, so this is this is the thing that that I can guarantee you everyone's going to struggle to get their head around, and um, and it takes a lot to let go. But you said that uh, you are never done, so you should never you should perform in a way that you will never be done. So, right. so, I, so think that, I, I think that's such a blessing. Um, you can interpret it one of two ways. Um, the way you just described it with your tongue, you know, with your, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be done. And we're not comfortable with that. You know, when because we're so overtaxed, we want closure. 
That, that's just mm-hmm. how people are. We want closure. We want this report done. We want the kids picked up. We want the grocery shopping done. We, we just want stuff done because we have too much on our plate. So when you tell them that, look, this is a life's work, it's like exercise. You can, you can be unfit and then you learn how to exercise. And then through exor- this process of exercise, you get fit. Well, what happens if you stop exercising? You'll eventually be unfit again. Um, so this is a part of life, but what it does do is increase your enjoyment of life. And, um, and I think you know, what people have to understand is we have, as human spirits, we have the capability of an infinite level of, of expansion. And artists, all artists understand this, whether they're musicians or da- dancers or whatever, they feel like they're just on this, this path that goes on forever. Now they're learning this, next week they'll be learning that. Um, and the joy is in learning it, uh, as opposed to feeling like, I'm gonna get to this point where, well, I'm done with this, now I'll go do something else. And that I think is the beauty of this is, and it's the message in life. I think where people get hung up is, an analogy that I use is if you're a musician and you go, you want to be a musician. So you go for a piano lesson on the very first day of piano lessons, you don't know anything. And you, the teacher says, okay, here's, here's a sheet, piece of sheet music. Here's the notes on the page. Here they are on the keyboard. These are the fingers you use to press them at that. Where are you in that moment? You're at your threshold that like that's as far as you can go is you're at your threshold. So you have this feeling inside of this is a struggle. Now, struggle is a label and it has a connotation to it, but it's just information. It's the situation is giving you information and it's letting you know that you're up against your threshold. Now, let's go 10 years down the road. Now you're playing these very advanced jazz pieces or, or um, a classical piece you're working on. And, and what is that experience? It's the same experience because you're working at something that you can't do yet. You know, um, and the skill has gotten you to this point where you can you can even attempt it. And so now how does you feel inside? You feel like you're struggling. And so it's very easy to interpret that as I'm not getting anywhere. I don't feel any differently than I did when I was back there. Well, yeah, you are getting somewhere, but your perception is you're always up against that threshold. And that feeling that you feel when you feel like you're struggling, all that's telling you is you're in the process of mastering something that you're not good at yet. That's all it's telling you. We interpret that as as negative and we, make, we allow it to make us feel bad and all this stuff. But all it's really doing is saying, hey, you know, if you were good at this, it would be easy and you wouldn't be thinking, you wouldn't be having that feeling of struggle. So the mm-hmm. fact that you're having that feeling of struggle, forget that word, the, the, the emotion that's usually attached to that word. Just look at it as uh, I'm giving you data. It's just data. You know, it's information that you're in the process of learning something and mastering it and you can't be doing that unless you're in that process. You know, you have to be in the process of struggling, of feeling that struggle in order to get good at it. And so it's, you know, to me, when I have those situations, I look at it, my interpretation of the situation is, oh good, like uh, here's my chance to execute stuff that I think is gonna work for this. And I just gather the data and I don't judge it. And I go, well, this, afterwards I debrief, you know, like, well, this, this thing I came up with worked pretty well. This thing, not so well. I'm going to have to work on that. Maybe I need to think about that a little bit. So my interpretation, again, of the situation when I feel like I'm struggling, is just, you know, how are you saying? The universe is, you know, touching me on the shoulder and go, hey, you noticing this? You noticing? You're not as you're so good at this. You know, like, and here's your opportunity to work on it. I'm giving it to you. So just go with it and see what you can, you know, see what you can do with it and learn from the, you know, from your execution. Um, 
And then you're, in, you know, we are really in control of so much more of our happiness than we give ourselves credit for. And that's okay. really the value, you know, the big value of, of coaching, you know, with people is that whenever we read a book that gets us all excited or something like that, it's like trying to teach ourselves music, you know, like, can you teach yourself how to play? Yeah, it's conceivable that you can, but what ends up happening is you don't have any accountability. You don't have to meet with this person. You don't have them watching how you interpret situations and then saying, well, are you noticing that the way, listen to what you just said and you interpret it and then you take the, you turn the situation around. And that is what like a like a uh, an objective observer in your life, even if it's just for a period of time, that's where it really brings value because you feel like um, you're it, the. It's like what I said in the beginning. You read the book, you get excited. You watch a video, you get excited, and then it, it basically peaks, and then it just starts to tail off because you have nothing reinforcing it. So, anyway, I you know for myself, um, I've had mentors, you know, and I, because I understand that, and I've always. I, when I got into golf, I made sure I had a great instructor and because I'd learned that in music, I thought I'm not going to, I'm not going to move so fast because there's, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's, you know, on that note, I wanted to ask you about what you, what you do actually do. So you did say earlier, you do some coaching um, and you've got a, you've got another book, which we didn't even talk about, which is called fully engaged and you're working on another one. So what are the projects that you've got going at the moment and how can people get well, right now we're, re we're going to restructure all the websites and basically combine them into one because i have the practicing mind institute and um you know people uh will will end up having um th there'll be free stuff and you know, people can get uh, they'll have access to you know interviews like this that i've done um articles that have been written about the practicing mind or fully engaged and uh, I'm going to, you know, I do some, some group coaching, but the, you know, people can go to, uh, you know, tomsterner.com and they can sign up for, uh, I'll talk to anybody for half an hour for free. And, um, and, you know, we can talk about uh, what they have going on and whether I think I can make a difference in their life um, or that they think I can make a difference in their life. And, uh, and, you know, we can talk about that. I usually try to solve some problems for them, whatever the, the half an hour, you know, allows. And, um, and I love doing it, you know, like, uh, like I said, there's no pressure on it. I don't, I, I am like, I can't stand the follow-ups and are you going to do this? Or are you going to, I don't do that. It's like, we meet, we have a talk, uh, and you know, I give you the information and I try to help you. And then, then you have to sit and make the decision. Do I want to commit to something like this? And, uh, it's funny because people, you know, they'll spend money on all kinds of stuff. Uh, but they'll be uh, le less likely to invest in themselves, you know, uh, in terms of changing the way they experience their life for the rest of their life, you know, like, uh, mm. so, um, but it's really, it's very rewarding. And I, I just enjoy people. It's like, I'm in debt for buying so much crap, but I'm not going to pay someone to help me get out of debt. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great analogy. Awesome. <laughs> Tom, it's, it's been awesome having you on the show. And like I said earlier, it's, a, it's an honor. Your book really did change my life. And, and I know that, in fact, even chatting to you now, I realize how much of the stuff uh, in your book is actually in my own coaching practice. So it's, it's been fantastic. And I know that everyone who watches this, especially after we mailed it out, is going to benefit hugely. So if you're watching, like and share, like the page, go and visit Tom, Tom's website, tomsterner.com. Yep. And and Tom, what a pleasure. I hope we oh, can have thank you. Thank you so much. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to join the Supper Heroes community, please get onto Facebook and join the Facebook group. That is the Supper Heroes Facebook group. For more information on me, follow me on Facebook, the John O. Proudfoot. Follow me on Instagram at John O. Proudfoot. Check out my website, www.johnoproudfoot.com. And if you're interested in taking my online keto course or getting online keto coaching, check out realmealrevolution.com. Please follow and download. We're out to change the world and you can be a part of it. See you next week.